This is the EWN Radio Network. Welcome to On the Record with your host, Ashram Lux Lucis. All right, welcome to another episode of On the Record. I am your host, Astrum Lux Lucis, and today we have in-house Bree Noble. Welcome, Bree. Thanks so much. So great to have you. You have such an impressive resume. Um, tell us a little bit about who you are. Okay, well, um, I do a lot of stuff, so it's hard to, you know, condense it, but I am the founder and CEO of Women of Substance Radio and Podcast, where we promote music by independent female artists. And I also am privileged to um, be a coach to female musicians to help them with their business, with their marketing, um, just be a mentor to them to help them figure out, you know, how they can move forward in their business and really start making some income with their music. Awesome. So tell us, how did you get your start? Because I know you're a songwriter. Did you start off as a songwriter? And and let's go back even further. What was that dream when you were a little girl? And when I grow up, I want to be. What was that for you? Oh, I definitely wanted to be a singer. Um, I didn't know when I was littler that I was a songwriter at all. I didn't think I had any talent in that area. But I did want to be a singer, and I sang in all the church musicals, and I would sing whenever anyone would let me. And, you know, being on stage, I felt completely comfortable. Um, And I just thought everybody was like that. But, you know, now I have a daughter that has stage fright, and it's interesting for me to see that because I I kind of assumed that everybody wanted to get up on stage and sing. Um, But so, yeah, I started doing that when I was really young. And I moved into high school where I was involved in every kind of music thing that was available. I was in all the different choirs, madrigal groups, um, um, a quartet, female quartet. I sang in the, the school musicals, and I also did a bunch of um, solo competitions and group competitions and stuff and just loved it. And I went on to college to do the same thing. I got a degree in music, vocal performance and also business, and I toured with the school's performing ensemble and was able to do that on the weekends and got so much stage experience as well as recording a couple of albums while I was in college with the group. So that was kind of how I got my start in music and just my absolute love of music and wanting to do that um, as, you know, my career. Awesome. And did you see that um, getting a major or a studying business in college as well was very helpful to your music career. Um, not at first. I <laughs> there was like a total disconnect. Um, I kind of did the business thing as a fallback, and that ended up being a fallback when I got out of school. I I became an accountant and worked in just regular companies for a while, and. But I was lucky that I found that there was a local opera company that needed a director of finance, and that was like the most perfect position for me. So, you know, because I had experience in classical voice, and uh, I'd done a couple operas in college, and, you know, I didn't get to sing on stage or anything, but I was 
putting the shows on, making sure that we had all the money we needed to put them on and paying everybody and all the stagehands and all the chorus and the orchestra. And it was just really fun being involved in that world. Yeah. Tell us, how did you get more into becoming performer from that point? Well, I had wanted to be a performer all this time, but I was working in corporate America and, and the opera and everything. And I'd been doing stuff on the side. I'd been trying to kind of figure out my direction and how to have an actual career. And I just couldn't figure it out. You know, I was doing it on the side. I was trying to find like bands in the recycler that might need a singer or, you know, just looking for other people's opportunities in a way, you know, looking for producers that were looking to produce vocalists and stuff. And, I did a lot of stuff, but none of it ever panned out into anything. And so I was really busy, but I was getting nowhere the whole time that I worked in corporate America until I decided to quit corporate America in 2004 because I had a, a lot of health problems and there was a lot of stress in my job that was affecting my health because putting operas on the stage are expensive and that was the time when the dot-com boom had completely crashed and we lost a lot of our donors and it was a really stressful time. And I had just had a baby and so my body was like going crazy with all the stuff that happens when you have a baby. And and so I, I wanted to be home with my baby. I wanted to get out of the stress world. And so I quit um, my full-time job. And because I was home, I decided, okay, here's my chance that I can really focus on music and I could figure this thing out finally. So what were some of the steps you took to figure it out? Well, the first thing that I had to learn was that I cannot find somebody else's opportunity and jump on board. I needed to make my own opportunity. And that's what I wasn't getting all of that time. And so some of the first steps that I did were I I looked at other artists that I saw were doing a lot and doing stuff in the space I wanted to do it in. And I started following them. I started seeing what they were doing. I actually went to their performances to see, you know, what they did on stage and how they interacted with their audience. And uh, and then I made friends with them. And I eventually ended up getting into a like a mentoring kind of group that we had for artists. And it was so helpful because there was people that had already done a lot of the things I wanted to do or they were in the process and I could ask them questions and find out what I was doing wrong and, you know, how I could achieve what they had. Mm, Yeah. What are some of the good advice that you got from the mentors? Well, one of the biggest things is, you know, first of all, knowing your audience and back when I was trying to be in all these other bands, I was trying to fit myself into their mold. And it wasn't me, like I was in a female alternative rock band and I could do that and I was okay at it, but it wasn't what I excelled at. And so, you know, they encouraged me to figure out what my niche was, what my audience, my best audience would be, and then find out where they hang out and what type of events I would want to do to find them. And that really helped a lot because it gave me a really targeted way to start booking my events instead of just, like, going on the Internet and, like, finding every opportunity under the sun and applying for it, because most of them didn't really fit what I did. And then they also suggested that I create more of a program 
for what I was doing instead of just saying, hey, I'm a singer-songwriter, want to have me sing. It's more of a, you know, this is the program I do, this is the theme. I think your group would really enjoy this because of X, Y, and Z. This is what I talk about. This is what my songs focus on, you know, more of like a a theme where all the songs were around a theme and I talked in between the songs about that theme. And that was really helpful because I had something to present to people that, you know, here's a package thing that your group would really enjoy instead of just like, hey, I'm a singer-songwriter. I would, you know, maybe your people would like me, you know. It was more like I needed to learn what my elevator pitch was and and pr- how to present myself. Yeah, that's a great idea. How did you go about finding your your uh, your your followers, your market, and and making yourself fit into that. Well, I mean, you already fit into it, but how did you find those people? Like, what were some of the steps you took to identify who they were? Well, I started looking at the people that already liked my music and um, just kind of saw the similarities between them. And most of the time, they my music is inspirational, kind of, And so a lot of those people are very faith-oriented, so I started looking to perform at churches. And then I also found that lots of women enjoyed my music, and so I started targeting women's groups. So I did a lot of um, women's retreats or women's, um, like there's groups that get together of women just during the day, like they're doing service projects and stuff, and they're always looking for some kind of program to have at their events when they get together. And so those were a big one for me. And I also found after doing them a few times that these are people that actually buy CDs. Mm, Yeah. Instead of just going to coffee houses and hoping that people will come by and maybe buy a CD from you, the likelihood is they're not because you don't have their captive attention. But if you are going into an event that already exists and being the entertainment for that, people also usually have their checkbooks because they're there to, you know, give money to something. I've done a lot of fundraisers as well. Wow. That's a, that's just a, that's a brilliant approach. (laughs) That really is, you know, Uh, because I'm, you know, I'm thinking of some friends of mine who have just been, beating the pavement of playing the same old clubs to the same old 10 people and, mm-hmm. and expecting a different result. And it's like, well, you know, you're doing the same thing and expecting a different result. That's, you know, what Einstein calls insanity. So um, right. that's awesome to, to piece something like that together. Now, what are some of the steps you did to piece a program together? Because it's kind of a different concept of just going, setting up, playing, hoping somebody's listening to you, talking a little bit in between a song to try to get somebody's attention, mentioning you've got some CDs for sale over there and that kind of thing. It's a whole kind of different presentation. So what are some things that you did to put that together? Well, I based it around my life experience because I knew that that was the way that I wrote music. I based it all on my own life experience. So I figured out, you know, what kind of themes were kind of running through my music in my life and how I could talk about those things in between the songs and how they could run together. And I could kind of tell the story of my life through my music. And I hoped that my life story 
would be encouraging to people because I have dealt with some struggles when I was younger um, and I was able to, you know, do a lot more than many would think I could do. And so I thought, well, this, you know, could not only tie my music all together, but it could also be inspirational and encouraging to people in the audience. And so that's how I came up with it. But I basically, I just looked at my songs and thought, you know, what are these songs about? Well, they're really about my life and how can I, how can I share a piece of myself with the audience through my songs and also talking between? Hmm. And did you ever, did you incorporate um, audience participation in any way? Um, I did a little bit. Some groups that I would go to, they like to have a discussion time. So I would give them some questions to discuss that maybe things that in my presentation brought up in their own lives that they wanted to discuss. But hmm. um, most of the time, I mean, sometimes I would I would ask the audience a question just to see how they responded throughout my presentation. But it is good to keep them involved. It's very good because you know that you've got their attention. Yeah. So did this open up doors for you for even furthering your music career more where maybe you were getting some um, songs on radio um, or um, bigger, better bookings, um, you know, stuff like that? Pretty much all of my bookings were word of mouth. Once I started going out and performing, people liked it, and they would pick up my flyer on my merch table afterward, and they'd tell their friends. And so pretty soon, it was all word of mouth. And I started getting bigger things just because of that. I had people that you know would come and say, oh, well, I, I run this fundraiser for this nonprofit organization, and you know we have 200 people coming and, you know, we think you'd be a great addition to the program. And, you know, there's some of those, like I made over $1,000 just for one event that I got off of a referral. Mm. So I didn't necessarily start having to, to go out and call more people, although once you have a, a certain amount under your belt, the momentum is much easier to build. You can say, well, I've sung here, I've sung here. You know, you can put in your bio, I've sung at Saddleback Church. I've sung at the, you know, national convention of XYZ. And it's a lot more enticing to people that you're trying to get to book you. Did you find it different between just doing like your typical kind of coffee house club gig versus going to where the people are, they're more there actually to see you? Is, is there a difference in how you show up on stage because I know sometimes it can be discouraging you know you're at this coffee house and you're thinking oh this is going to be a great show you start playing and everybody's like buried in their computer or buried mm -hmm. in conversation with somebody and you're just like okay I guess I'm background music for the rest of the the night you know so does it affect how you show up definitely and I think that at an event where people are expecting you number one you get introduced. Like you actually get a proper introduction where you have a bi you know, a short bio that they read. And I think people are already on your side once they hear that bio because they're like, oh, wow, she's saying at Dodger Stadium, that's so cool. Oh, my gosh, she won these awards. You know, it allows them to get a picture of you instead of, you know, just going in cold. And if we could do that, at events like coffee houses, like you said, that would be 
if people actually paid attention to someone that got up there and said that stuff, they'd be like, oh, maybe I should take a listen to this person. They've obviously got some pretty good, you know, good pedigree. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Do you enjoy discovering new music but feel completely overwhelmed by the sheer volume of music you can find online? When you listen to traditional radio, are you bored by hearing the same songs over and over? Or are you wondering why 80 to 90% of the music you hear is only by male artists? If you want to discover the best music by female artists in all genres, listen to the Women of Substance Music podcast for 30 minutes of music every weekday. We just hit our 100th episode on April 8th, and we're going strong. Find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or WOSpodcast.com. I'm looking for a certain kind of woman, and I think you know her. She's an entrepreneur that is highly connected, successful, significant in her own industry, and considered the go-to woman in her community. She's received so much from so many women in business, she's ready to give back to others on their journey, lifting as she climbs. Hi, this is Sandra Yancey, and I'm the founder and CEO of eWomen Network. I'm looking to connect with the woman I've just described who lives in your community so that we might have a conversation about how eWomen Network's proven success system can provide her a platform to elevate her success and ability to support women in business. Our international community of managing directors are influencing the speed of success for women in business around the world. If that sounds like something that you want to be part of or know someone we should talk with, send an email to managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. That's managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. And let's start the conversation. So what's during this period you're kind of transitioning over into putting your program together and stuff, what obstacles came up for you in that? Um, I think one obstacle was it's weird to call people and ask them to book you when you're the artist. So, you know, I always thought, oh, my gosh, I need a booking agent. You know, this will solve all my problems. But then I'd have to give a cut, and I really didn't want to do that. So what I ended up doing was I actually asked my mom, to do my booking. And then I also at one point hired a college student to do some of my booking and I gave them the whole script and um, the college student did more of like online inquiries through email and stuff. But my mom would actually call people and say, you know, I've got this artist. I think that, you know, I know that you guys do events. I've seen these events of yours. You know, I really think that this artist would be perfect for you. And it was, it was so helpful to not have to do it yourself because sometimes it's just awkward. Yeah, yeah, it, it, and it also, I think, in the eyes of the person you're calling, you, you're you kind of bringing yourself down a notch, you know, because you're like, oh, the artist is calling me? Well, they can't be that successful if they're still calling me and they don't have their people <laughs> calling me, you know? Right. Yeah. Good call on the moms there. <laughs> right. It's always good to have some people, you know. It makes you yeah. seem a little more important, even though it's a little manufactured. But right, yeah. they don't know that. My mom has a different last name than I do, and, you know, they don't know she's my mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes I would call up and I would be somebody else, you know. And I'd have this makeup, made-up name, and I'd make up an email address, and, you know, which was kind of – 
good and bad because I remember getting some feedback from a record label once that was kind of hard to read, you know. <laughs> it's like, oh. Mm-hmm. So, um it's nice to have people who can filter things as well, you know. Oh yeah, definitely. So, do you have a methodology for creating benchmarks and planning action steps as you move forward with things? Hmm. Um I do now. I mean, now that I'm and I guess when I was building my music career, I did have a have benchmarks of like I wanted to have this many events booked for each month. And if I didn't get those by because at one point I was getting them by referral, most of them I didn't have to work for it. But you know, then at at some point I'd be like, okay, I only have two events for February. You know, I better start calling people because I wanted to say that I, you know, I knew kind of generally a certain kinds of events, how much money I could bring in based upon what they paid me in my CDs. And, you know, I wanted to be able to bring in that amount. And then, you know, for tours, I would, I would make sure that I had a certain number of anchor dates by a certain number of months out, you know, and then I knew I could fill the rest in later but in order to actually say, okay, I'm really doing this tour, I need to have this many dates by this date. But, um, you know, now in my business, I definitely, I really keep track like weekly of what's going on. And I, you know, I realize my expenses versus my income and I need to make sure to step it up a notch, maybe, you know, introduce another initiative or something if I feel like that, that, ratio is not looking good Hmm. when you were doing your programs were you with a band or was it just you like solo acoustic what was your lineup that was another thing that held me back I think I thought I have to have a band in order to go out and I also didn't think that I could play for myself like I've been a piano player since I was six but I didn't have a lot of experience playing and singing at the same time Mm-hmm. And so I, in front of people, and so that held me back for a really long time. I was like, I have to have a band. I at least have to have a guitarist. And, you know, I had worked with all these people, but it's it's a hassle. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. even that they're great people, like you still have to organize stuff. And I did play with a band for a while. Um, and we did events and we did coffee houses and stuff, but it was just so much easier to be portable if it was just me. And it was so much easier to tour because all my band people, they worked full time and, you know, so I just said, I've got to do this. I have to do this thing. And I just made myself figure it out how to play and sing at the same time. And, you know, at first I kind of (laughs) sucked. I got a lot of practice at it, doing it with the band first, you know, so I could bail out if I just didn't make it. And that was really good. And then, you know, eventually I just went out and did it on my own for the first time and it was super stressful, but I did it and I knew it was something I had to do in order to have complete control over my own career. Yeah. Do you do any programming as well? So are you playing along with tracks or is it just you and piano? It's usually just me and piano. I did start, um, I actually went through one of Tom Jackson's courses and I and I realized that just me at the piano can be boring. And so I did actually incorporate a track into my performance because I thought it gives me more of a chance to be intimate with the audience and be right in front of them if I'm not having to play the piano. Because mm. 
<clears throat> at a lot of places I would play, they would have a piano, but it would be kind of like off to the side or, you know, not right in front. Yeah. And so I chose, and I'm not a big fan of tracks, but I chose to do a track on one song just so I could interact differently with the audience and, and just the staging would look a little different. Yeah. And did you notice, like, when you started doing that, that you've got more engagement from people? I did. I did. And I think my hang-ups about tracks are not the audience hang-ups. You know, I, as a musician, yeah. I have total hang-ups about tracks. They don't right. care. Yeah. And so they just wanted to interact more with me face-to-face. And so once I got over that, it was a lot easier. Yeah. Now, how did you get over that? Like, what were some steps you took? Um, well, actually, I I figured out a way to control it from the stage because what I didn't like is depending on anybody else to control tracks because that just stressed me out. So I I ended up getting my own amp and having everything set up on stage for myself so I didn't have to worry about, you know, whether the sound people that were there knew what they were doing or pay or paying attention when I gave them the cue. <laughs> so yeah, I just I just needed to be. Obviously, I'm a control freak because this is all everything we talk about seems to be about me controlling things. <laughs> hey, believe me, in this industry, being in control is very important because so many people are not. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um. Did you ever find yourself getting discouraged? And what did you do to move through that? I definitely did. Um, It really helped to have that group of women that I was working with and they were mentoring to me. And then I ended up being able to be mentoring to new people, you know. But it really helped because if I had something discouraging happen, or like I said, something really lame or embarrassing on the phone to somebody when I was trying to book, you know, I would go into that group and I'd be like, I can't believe what I just did. And, you know, and then they would come back and go, oh, I did that before. I know, you'll get over it. You know, it just, it makes you feel so much better that you have that camaraderie. And then, you know, when you when you do get discouraged, you can talk to them and they'll say, you know, that's exactly where I was three years ago in my career and this is how I got past it. And, you know, don't get discouraged because, you know, look at where I'm at now you can totally do this. And it, it just, it really helps to have that other artists that are doing what you're doing and being able to talk to them about stuff. You don't feel yeah. so isolated and alone. Yeah. How did you find that group? Um, I found that group through one of the artists that I was kind of watching to to see what she was doing because I was impressed with how many bookings she had and you know, the kind of programs that she put together and um, just I felt like she was everywhere online that I would look. And I'm like, how is she doing this? You know, so I started following her and and I got to talking to her after one of her events and, and, you know, she actually invited me to be a part of it. And, you know, they vetted me first, of course. I couldn't just be some, you know, person that loved to sing but had, had no plan, no clue about my career. They needed to see that I had been taking steps. And, you know, so they invited me to be a part of it, and it was just, it was great. But I would never have gotten asked to be a part of it if I hadn't have connected with this other artist, if I had just been 
you know, trolling around online and contacted them, they probably would have been like, oh, this is a wannabe, you know, she's not Mm -hmm. serious. Yeah. How do you feel, you know, it was to approach somebody, you know, like that? Because there's always kind of that, you know, thinking when you are approached by somebody, you're thinking, oh, God, you know, (laughs) who's this person? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, putting yourself in the other shoes now, of go, like I I know whenever I meet like somebody famous or one of my idols or whatever, you know, there's always kind of that like I want to meet you but I don't because I don't want you to think I'm one of them kind of people, you know. Right. So right. what did you do to you know kind of work through that? Well, it helped that she wasn't famous. I mean, she was mm-hmm. well known in certain circles, but you know, she wasn't famous. She was still approachable, and um, I just. I didn't like go up to her and go, oh, can you please mentor me? You know, I just started talking to her about her music and saying I really love that she did this and I'd seen her online here. And, you know, so she she knew that I was paying attention, but I also had something intelligent to say. I wasn't just like this, you know, ogling person that mm-hmm. that was hanging on every word that she was saying. You know, I I obviously had done my homework and I also knew about music stuff because I had been doing it. And so I didn't come across as clueless. I think that's where the problem occurs. Like if you, if you come across as just completely idolizing someone and having absolutely no clue um, and just hoping that they're going to like take on, take you under their wing and like completely change your life (laughs) and you know, (laughs) Like that's that's not gonna happen. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You just have to approach that's it that's from like you want to learn from people, you know. Yeah. So, do you have a song that you were doing in that time period that sort of brought you to the next level? Um, there was a, there's a song that is actually the lead track on my first professionally produced CD called Healing Waters and. It talks about that time when I was, you know, really stressed out at work and really sick in the hospital and everything and overwhelmed and just how I how I got through that. And so that's some of the story that I talk about. And that ended up being a really important song for me. It got some good airplay on Christian radio and in inspirational radio. It, um, you know, I won a few songwriting awards because of that song and it it became kind of like my signature song. So I'd say that that song would be it for me. But one other thing that I started doing in my performances because of the audiences that I had, um, they tended to be a little bit older maybe, but they were, they were music lovers and they loved all kinds of music. And because I was classically trained, I could sing... I could sing Broadway, I could sing classical. And so I started experimenting with some of that and they absolutely loved it. So some of the ones that have become a signature for me are singing like Think of Me from Phantom of the Opera or singing Ave Maria. People are always requesting that when I go to perform places. And so I eventually created a CD that's all Broadway and classical kind of music because that was what they wanted and it it sells all the time because that's the songs that people really enjoy. Wow, that's a great idea. 
That's a great idea. Yeah, I just started listening to my audience. You know, I mean, sure, I want to write all kinds of songs, but I also want to give them what they want, and I enjoy singing that music.
did you ever find yourself where you are, I call it the Einstein theory of insanity, where you're kind of chasing your tail, you're doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result? If you found yourself there, what did you do to get out of that loop? I don't think I've been there since I actually made turn that corner. I was there for 10 years <laughs> in just joining every band that I thought was going to be my next, you know, the big break. Mm-hmm. And I I think that what made me turn the corner was, like I said before, realizing that I had to learn to play and sing by myself because then I could have complete control over my career. And I mean, I fought that for so long. Like, I just need to be in a band. I can be a lead singer. You know, I can be a writer. I can play a little bit of keyboard, you know. But I fought that being alone on stage thing for a long time. Because I didn't want it to be all up to me if it crashed and burned, you know. Yeah. It's not my fault. (laughs) It's the drummer's fault. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think it, it had more of um, not necessarily a self-esteem thing, but um, what, what do you think was behind that fighting other than, you know, not wanting it to be all your fault if it crashed and burned? Well, I think some of it was just lack of confidence in my in my ability to play and sing at the same time because I didn't have a lot of experience with that. Um, But I think the other thing was like a fear of authenticity. Like I just kind of wanted to hide behind a, I mean, I wanted to be the front person. Don't get me wrong. I wanted people to watch me and be in the front and everything, but I didn't want to be the whole identity. Like I wanted to be the lead singer of this band or, you know, and I didn't, I was afraid to just put myself out there as an artist completely and, the, you know, these are my songs and, you know, you're watching just me on the stage and I'm the only one that can keep your attention. And once I did that, and that was the other big thing about doing the whole program thing, is that I had to reveal a lot about myself in front of the audience. And that was really freaky at first. I mean, I like fought the, I knew that I had to do it, but I fought the idea because I <laughs> didn't want to talk about myself. I didn't I just wanted to be like this cool singer on stage, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And how long did it take you from doing those first initial shows to really start to feel comfortable with it and really step into it? I would say probably 6 months. Six months until I really felt comfortable with the idea. And, you know, the whole, I had the whole thing mapped out and stuff and all the talking in between, but I didn't necessarily have it completely memorized. So that was hard at first, even though it's my own life. You know, it's like, well, you can't memorize your own life, you know, but I mean, there's certain points I wanted to touch upon and I didn't want to like miss those opportunities to say those particular things. And, you know, so eventually I actually recorded the whole thing, um, all the speaking and everything, because people requested it. And so when I recorded that, that really solidified, well, these are the things that I want to say. And so after that, like if I hadn't performed for a few weeks, 
sometimes I'll go back and listen to the recording just to remind myself and make sure that I hit all the, the high points that I wanted. So that was really helpful. It really helped solidify it instead of just writing it on paper. And I didn't want to have to look at notes or anything because I thought that was really distracting from connecting with the audience. Yeah. Were you working with a mentor at this time too? Were they helping you with this? Um, probably the people in the group, you know, okay. in my my little artist mentoring kind of group. We were all mentors to each other. And I actually went on a couple of tours with them, um, just really short tours, and we performed together. And it was interesting to perform with them and then also to be an observer while they were performing because I learned a lot from what they do on stage. Mm, yeah. Going back to your uh, recording of the speaking, did you, like, that's something you put together and you sold that to people? And did you include music with it as well, or was it more of, like, just a recorded speech? I actually included the music. Um, the four songs that were included in that particular presentation, I put them in there. Um, in the same order that I did them in the show, and it all made sense. And it was like, you know, if you missed a live show, here you can take this home. And people would buy it, like for their, you know, relatives that couldn't come or somebody they knew that was in the hospital that couldn't or couldn't leave their home or something, and they thought what, they would really be inspired by it. And, you know, I, I did it completely by request. I never had thought of actually recording it. And I completely sold out of all the CDs I made. Wow. And I That's just sold it for awesome. ten bucks. You know, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't like as much as a regular CD. Nice. So are you still performing now or are you just focusing on the radio show and your current mentoring programs that you have? I am mostly focusing on those because the reason that I actually got so heavily involved in those is that I didn't want to tour anymore because I have two young children and they got into the age where I really needed to be home. You know, they have so many activities going on. And um, in 2011, I put out a Christmas CD and I needed to tour in order to promote it when it first came out. And it was really hard because the kids would be like, but you're going to miss my Christmas play and you're not going to get to build gingerbread houses. And, you know, and I just like broke my heart. Mm. You're right. I am going to miss your gymnastics performance, you know? And, and so I got to the point where I was like, you know, I feel like I've really done what I really wanted to do with this for now. And I can put it on hold and I can be, home for my kids and not feeling like I have to tour because I was touring with them when they were younger and up through preschool. But then once they were in regular school, it was much harder because I couldn't bring them with me. Yeah. And so I just decided once my second daughter entered kindergarten and I'd been doing women of substance for several years at that point, but I thought, you know, I could really focus on this and then I can take everything that I've learned and I can help other artists so they don't have to suffer as I did. So how did Women of Substance Radio come about? It's a, it came about because I was meeting so many great female artists along the way, and I loved what they were doing, and I wasn't seeing that that was being promoted well. It wasn't getting, they weren't getting radio play. You know, they just weren't getting the airtime that they deserved. 
and I wanted to create a platform where I could promote them. And it actually really started just out of my own desire to listen to good music at work. And so I created this back in like 2000. They started the Live 365 platform that you could create your own radio station. And it was all free back then. So I created this station. I named it Women of Substance because that was just the kind of music I wanted to have. Music by female artists that was really good quality and really had something to say. It wasn't just like, oh, let's go party or, you know, stuff like that. I wanted it to really have a, a substantive message and and or substantive um, quality to it. And so I started that and then I like put it on the back burner because I was still working in corporate America. And when they started charging you to have radio stations, I couldn't do it because I was still working full time. And so I just kind of left it there. Well, they didn't tear it down. They left it there for so many years. And by the time I quit my full-time job, it was still there. And I was like, hmm, maybe I could do something with this. And so in 2007, I started building it up and, you know, had to figure out how to be able to pay for it because you've got to pay for royalties. Because I was airing not just independent artists, but other artists as well, label artists that you would know because I wanted to expose the indies by putting them alongside well-known music. So Mm, people would search on, you know, on Live 365 for, you know, Jewel or Sarah Bareilles or Sarah McLaughlin and they would find my station and then they'd listen and then all these other indie artists would come up and they'd be like, wow, I've never heard of this person, but they're really good. And so that was always the intent with the radio station. So I had to be able to pay for the royalties and stuff um, for all the artists. And so I figured out how to do that by taking submissions from independent artists and charging them a very small fee to review their music. And so I got a lot of great music from indies, and I was able to keep the station up and running. And, you know, just it moved forward from there. It was started really as a hobby and it was very small for several years while my kids were little and I was still touring. But then um, once my d- second daughter went to kindergarten, I was like, all right, let's ramp this thing up. Hmm. Yeah, another brilliant idea. <laughs> you're, you're like the, women, the woman of brilliant ideas. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, can I, can that's I awesome. encapsulate that quote and put it somewhere? I like that. <laughs> I'll think about it. <laughs> no, absolutely, yeah. Um, so what happened after, because it's it's still going on, Women of Substance is still happening, but now you've branched out even again into some more things with your mentoring program and stuff. So tell us about that. How did that come about? Well, that came about um, just because I felt like I had so much that I wanted to share and you know, with the artists that I had been through and that I had learned um, in building my own music career, plus I have the business background and I really did a deep dive a couple years ago into online marketing and, and social media and all that stuff and learning how it all worked to make sure that I was doing my best to promote women of substance. And so I felt like I really have a lot of knowledge in these areas and I want to share that with with artists and I want to work with artists on, you know, in a group setting or a one-on-one setting. 
like I had with my little group of artists. And so I just, you know, started the Academy, the Female Musician Academy in June. And I had been working up to that for a while, just figuring out everything that I wanted it to be and um, kind of getting women of substance in a way that it, it runs well and um, getting a couple assistants on board to help me out with some of the administrative stuff that takes a lot of time, you know, show notes for the podcast. And I have somebody who edits my podcast and stuff like that. So I had more time to focus on the academy. And so we've been up and running since June and we have um, we have classes. In fact, I have a class right after I talk to you today. We're going to be doing our first um, week one jumpstart class on getting everybody um, just really oriented in being set up for success, getting some goal setting done, getting um, putting some challenges down for the next 90 days, and then working on the beginning parts of their marketing campaign. And this is going to be a four-week class for all the new members of the Academy. And then we do monthly webinars with um, different people from the industry that help in different areas. So, you know, we've got one this month on writing, writing your bio, one next month on um, using Twitter like a rock star. After that, we're doing licensing. And then we have one with a music lawyer. You know, we're just really trying to run the gamut of all the information that artists need in order to be successful. Wow, that's awesome. That is so awesome. Um, I want to go back to your assistance because I'm actually in that place in life where, okay, I could really use an assistant right now. Um, where did you find them? Are they like virtual assistants? Are they real live in in the area assistants? Or uh, are they interns from colleges? Where did you go for your assistance? Right now they're all virtual. Um, they're all actually not interns. They're all paid assistants. Um, the first one was my mom, of course. I got her back on board. She does all <laughs> my podcast show notes, and she does a lot of the background research for the artists. Um, and then, and she's also very artistic, so she helps me do things like, you know, create an actual banner to have at our events and stuff like that. Um, I have a couple of virtual assistants that actually live in the Philippines, and they're really awesome to work with. They, one of them does my social media. She just makes sure that everything that I'm doing is promoted correctly and that she answers people's questions and stuff. And the other one does, helps me out with some of my blog writing and, um, you know, making sure that the female entrepreneur musician podcast that I do once a week is up and, and, you know, it's got nice looking images and, and it's promoted online and everything. So I have people doing different things. And I also have an editor for the Female Entrepreneur Musician podcast because it's one of those things where I could do it and I have the knowledge to do it and I have done it before, but I just don't want to spend the time doing it because I want to do other things. So I have an editor for that. And it's it's really the only way that I've been able to do this academy. I knew from the beginning that I needed to get some founding members in there to raise the money to get the assistance that I needed so I could actually free myself up to do the work I needed for the academy. And I've created a couple of courses in the beginning. So when people come into the academy, they have a, a marketing course, and then they have a course on house concerts that people are really loving. And mm -hmm. I plan on doing more courses in the future, too. So let's talk a little bit about, since you you have a full plate, you know, you're 
um, you're a busy lady with many things going on and some kids. And how do you maintain balance in your life between career, family, friends, and self-care and, and everything that you've got going on? It's not easy. Um, <laughs> so I try to combine things. I actually just posted on Facebook this morning that yesterday I had to go take my daughter to soccer practice, and I was like, oh, look at this. There's a track right here. I can go do my exercise, you know. So I try to, to combine things when I can. Um, at least I have the hours between 8 and 3, most of my work done. But I do get up very early because I know I have to start about 6.30 getting my kids ready for school and making lunches and all that stuff. So I actually get up at 4 every morning. Oh, my God. And that's kind of my zen time to um, really focus on some tasks that I need to do that require, like, really focused attention. Wow. Now, do you have any kind of meditation practice or any kind of sort of um, internal work practice that you do? I usually do that while I'm on my walk in the morning. Like, again, here I am combining um, mm-hmm. But I really, I, I live in the woods, so it's really easy to meditate and pray when you're out in the woods and in nature. Yeah, it definitely has that effect. <laughs> mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. So what lies ahead for you? Well, the Academy is just getting going, so I'm really excited about what it's doing. I mean, I was putting together my first class for the Jumpstart and happening today and I was thinking to myself I am doing what I love like I love this stuff I love putting I mean I don't love making PowerPoint presentations but I love going over this information you know thinking about all the valuable things that I can teach them I love that and so I'm just really excited about that I'm excited about you know women of substance is going strong we're doing tons of new you know special shows all the time we are starting to do some regional um showcases we're doing our first one in chicago and it's on october 4th and it's going to be super fun we're having four different artists from the station that we're highlighting and we're hoping to do more of those in the future are those live events is that a live event yes it's a live event um it's at uncommon grounds in chicago and it's it's a it's a nice little venue. It's only it's like seventy five person capacity for our first first event, but four artists, two hours worth of music with four different artists that are all from Women of Substance. They're all a little bit different, um, and it's going to be really great. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I wish I could go, but Chicago's a little far for me at this point with all yeah. that goes on with my kids. But uh-huh. I'll get there eventually. Yeah. So what is the hardest lesson that you've had to learn so far? And how do you think that shaped your life and the vision for your life? I think the hardest lesson I've had to learn is that I need to be myself. Um, You know, with different challenges that I've dealt with in my life, I've always wanted to try to hide those. And it was so freeing when I actually came out and said, you know, this is what I deal with on a daily basis. I'm considered legally blind and I have, you know, vision, visual difficulty. And that wasn't easy for me to say from the stage. 
But once I did that, I felt like people really were so much more interested in what I was doing because I felt like I was real and I wasn't just trying to be this persona on stage. And it took me, you know, till I was 30-something to learn that lesson. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that uh, I think a lot of artists deal with. It's like you have this dream and you want to be this star kind of person and you see the illusion created by those who are already famous. And so you think that's what you've got to do. But until you are that person, you're cutting off your people in right. the meantime because they're not looking at you like that person. They're like, who's this person playing at the coffee house here? You know, <laughs> thinking they're all that, you know. <laughs> right. So when you get right. real and you get authentic, then that's when people can make the connection and that's when they'll, you know, join on and and be supportive. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, we are nearing the end, and I always ask everybody to kind of give a final words of wisdom to the listeners. So if you have any final words of wisdom you'd like to share with us, we would love to hear it. Oh, it's so hard to condense something down into final words of wisdom. Um, (laughs) I think my final words of wisdom are figure out what you're passionate about and figure out how to make a living at it. And, I mean, it's not that simple, obviously, but I think it can be done. I mean, I'm doing it right now, and I certainly didn't think I'd be able to be doing it, you know, even 10 years ago. So, you know, figure out what you're absolutely passionate about, because you do not want to be spending 50 years of your life doing something that you hate. It's not worth it. It's going to cause health problems. It's going to cause stress in your life. So figure out what it is that you love and figure out a way that you can do that for a living. And there's so many ways to do that nowadays with the internet. There really are. You just need to get creative. Well, folks, that wraps up another episode of On the Record. Tune in next week. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. One of my mottos for business owners is, you can't do it alone. Whether you're in the startup stage of your business or you're scaling, you can't grow without relationships to provide support, wisdom, and new customers. eWomen Network is your home to connect with other women entrepreneurs who have been where you are or are experiencing the same challenges. We have chapters across the U.S. and Canada that have monthly events featuring our trademarked process called Accelerated Networking to ensure you get the context, resources, and leads you need to grow your business. And once you become a member, you get many benefits, including two one-on-one coaching sessions, unlimited access to our membership database, your own personal profile page, and discounts on products and services with our business partners, such as UPS and American Express Open. Join the eWomen Network community and let us help you live your dream. For details, visit eWomenNetwork.com. This is the EWN Radio Network.